Contest of Champions, episode number 45, Professor X versus Protector. Let's get Welcome back, comic book fans, as we begin our journey to the finals here in season number two of the Contest of Champions Live. It is on this comic book podcast that you can hear the latest comic book news, reviews, and of course, talk about who beats up who in a superhero fight. This is the 25th fight of season two, and the 45th fight under our belt since we've gone live. Thank you to all of our listeners out there for downloading the podcast and helping make this the best comic book podcast on the internet. Uh, with your great questions and tons of participation. I am the clobbering clergyman, Jeff Jackson, and with me as always is my partner in crime, the Canadian Kate Killer. How you doing? Um, good. Yeah. Winding down the summer here. It's perfect. Nice. Having a good Labor Day weekend? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. We've we've just been going for a lot of walks and, you know, going to some big parks with the where we have a lot of rivers and lakes and stuff like that and just, you know, Nice. Just, just chilling, laid back. Yeah. Yesterday, I um, I was with uh, our power listener Moses, and uh, we were out at a park uh, in, in near his where he lives, and uh, there was we were at kind of like this little lake reservoir area, and the water was really down low, and I and I was like, I'm gonna go and stick my feet in the water, and as I got really really close to the water, the mud just like completely caved under me and like uh, like both feet just went completely like like halfway up my leg just straight down in the mud and so then I pulled my legs out and then I got mud all over my clothes and it was kind of a disaster so <laughs> and and everybody else nobody else knew I was doing it like the, everybody else was kind of up my family and Moses and, and our wives and everybody was was up and uh and so I like walk up and I'm like just covered in mud. So that happens. So um, joining us this week is a guy who charges lap dances for rides on his boat, Mr. Tom McNeely. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> and his opponent, the guy who inspired Chuck Norris to grow facial hair, Dan Briand. Howdy, howdy. How are you guys doing to- today? Doing well. It yeah. Was very good. Yep. Having a good weekend. Awesome weekend. Lots of drinking. All right. Well, this should be a fun show then. <laughs> All right. All right. Um. I uh. Actually, never mind. So here, here's our. <laughs> it's funny. I was gonna give like the behind the scenes, you know, way in which I went and picked these news articles and what I was thinking and how I was stuck. And then I was just like, why the hell would I tell them that? Like, I just, I'll just say the news. Um, <laughs> make, making headlines this week in the world of comics, I have two things to talk about today. One's uh, something that's uh, local and close to home to me, and then the other one's a bit bigger, or much bigger. Um, the first one is I, I wanted to give a big shout-out to a local comic book store around these parts called The Dragon, um, which, which happens to be in a place called Guelph, Ontario. Um, not very far from me, probably... Well, I don't know, 15 minutes. No, probably not 15, about 20 minutes away from me. Um, 
Owner Jennifer Haynes can proudly boast that her store won the 2012 Will Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award. Um, and it, that's a prize that's been dubbed as the Oscars uh, for comic retailers in the comic book industry. Um, Haynes can also boast being the first comic store solely owned and operated by a woman to ever win this prestigious award. Um, Haynes is an advocate of using comic books to help children with literacy, and she runs a really successful website called comicsintheclassroom.ca. So congratulations, Jennifer, uh, everybody around these parts, and I'm sure in the comic book world are, are very proud. Um, she does a lot of good work with, with comic books, and not just in selling the books to comic readers, but, you know, helping use the medium to teach kids to read. So good for her. Um, when I saw this on the, on the thing, on the, on the script, I, uh, I went to that website and what a freaking great resource that is. If you, if you, uh, are wondering like what to buy kids or, or what to buy nieces or nephews or, or any, any child that is in elementary school all the way up to high school, um, and, and you just want to know some good comics to get them, they have uh, this website, comicsintheclassroom.ca, has just this tremendous uh, list of, of great books, and they're all really, really great books. Um, so she, she knows her stuff, and she's really done a great job. So it's nice to see somebody like this get uh, get their due and get what they deserve and be awarded in such a, in such a great way. So congratulations. Pretty awesome. Yeah, and she's she's also a, she's also a real advocate of females, um, both females in comic book literature, and also advocating to get more females readers, buyers, and females into the stores. So I know she does all kinds of um, promotional things and stuff like that to try and get more women into the stores. Um, and uh, and and I, from what I've read, she's been very successful and has a high number of female clientele, which is you know another hands up for her because. You know, we've all gone to our comic book stores and seen that uh, one thing that most of them are lacking is uh, yeah. is the female persuasion. Yeah, you should so see. You should uh, you should invite her to be on the show. Yeah, I tried. Yeah, I saw I you. Tw- I saw you. You uh, you tweeted her. Um, so, uh, but yeah, that'd be awesome. I, we 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 need more women in this sh- <laughs> this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so no, now that uh, now that Andy's not on, we don't really have. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, sorry, taking a swig of your beer. Um, yeah. in the second thing in news, I actually just found while we were prepping to get ready to start the show, because um, I, I was a little, I don't know, I wasn't too impressed with the news this week. I was scouring yeah, through really things, and uh, it, there wasn't much to talk about. Um, but then I stumbled across something that I thought was pretty interesting. And that is that Marvel has just filed a trademark um, appeal for the Iron Patriot, the character of the Iron Patriot, um, which in the books anyway was was uh, Norman Osborn, who wore the red, white, and blue. I guess it was kind of red, um, red, blue, and silver. I guess, but the red, white, and blue armor, Iron Man armor, um, back when he was kind of, I don't know, quasi good guy, pretending, right, right. well, bad guy pretending to be good guy. Um, and so, you know, that's exciting and all. But what that may may mean is that it might mean that we might see an appearance from the Iron Patriot in Iron Man 3 being their filing of this trademark. Well, didn't we already know that? Like, wasn't there one of the early shots, uh, pictures from that was taken from the from the set was a picture of the Iron Patriot armor? 
but wasn't it just wasn't it part of his armor collection? Like weren't weren't all the armors there? No, there was a guy. No, there was a guy who was uh, who was in the. It was actually in the armor. That oh. yeah, yeah. Well, there you yeah, go. but it's it was it wasn't like of course it wasn't supposed to be Norman Osborn or anything. Right. But from what they were uh, describing or from what I read somewhere, the rumor is that it was somebody that got their hands on the War Machine armor and repainted it. Huh. And then of course they're probably going to call it the Iron Patriot now that they trademarked the name. But yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So sorry. I just I just have it in front of me here. So so where. Where the Iron Patriot armor might be used in Iron Man three, it's more likely that it'll be War Machine wearing the armor. Uh-huh. Um, but then it does go on to say that Marvel has teased, however, that Norman Osborn may get the suit in Iron Man four or Avengers two. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So wait, wait, is Norman Osborn? I thought I thought the rights for Norman Osborn was still back at Sony. Sony. Yeah, yeah, they they are. I wonder though. I wonder if you put him in the suit. Um. Ah, yeah. And change his name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but still give him the cornrows. Well, you don't even have to show. You don't even have to show his hair, right? Like you could just have the face mask come up. They can refer to him as Norman, or they can refer to him as Osborne or Mister Osborne, or and then through the whole thing, call him the Iron Patriot instead. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. I think there's ways around it. Right. With this type of a move, anyway. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be it'd be neat though. Yeah, that would be very cool. Very cool. It looks like. Uh, I mean, do we know? So, so are there any other? Do we know who the villain is in this in this movie yet? Or is it? I mean, is this or, in is, Iron Man three? Yeah. Well, it's, it's Ben Kingsley as the Mandarin. Yeah. As one. Oh, that's right. That's right. And then there's the that. other guy. The uh, there's another guy. I forget the name. Some C lister from the comic books that nobody cares about. Kind of like Whiplash. Kind of like yeah. Or. Uh, Oh, so, so they're gonna do that? They're gonna do the old Spider-Man thing where they put thirteen villains in the movie, Ugh. essentially. Yeah, yeah that, that's actually usually the problem with the the sequels is they they get over they they try to go too far. It's like Spider-Man three was exactly that problem where they try to stick too many villains in at one time. Yeah, and yeah, they had dropped say Sandman. Uh, I think Spider-Man three would have been a much better movie. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I like that, uh, but it's like, why do you have to cram, try cram so many villains? I mean, just stretch out, make an extra movie out of it. Yeah. Uh, the other villain in Iron Man three is reportedly Cold Blood. What? Who is that? Uh, first appeared in Marvel Comics Presents Volume One, Number Twenty Six, in August '89. Cold Blood. Uh, Apparently, it was part of Civil War. He was one of the superheroes against this, the Registration Act and was arrested. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Abilities under in the wiki, it says cyborg with artificial body parts, highly trained fighting skills. That's it. Cold blood. Yes, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, he is obscure. I have that issue. Very obscure. I have that issue of, of Marvel Comics Presents. Yeah, it's got uh, Havoc on the... Uh, on the uh, cover of it. So yeah, he basically looks like um, he basically just looks like a cyborg face, half guy face. Yeah. Huh? Why can't they just use Deathlock? Exactly. Because Deathlock's too cool to be an Iron Man three. That's fly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just it though. He's a major character. It'd be much better Cold Blood. 
Well, there's, there's another movie studio that owns the rights to the Deathlock, so. Okay. Yeah, when are they ever going to make that movie? Never. <laughs> it, it keeps it keeps rearing its ugly head every decade or so. <laughs> and right. somebody's like, oh, I wrote another draft for the script. Yeah. Right. I think you should write a draft for the script. I should. Yeah, I know Dan isn't like your second favorite character or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's he's one of my top three and or top five, I should say. But yeah, yeah he's up there. Very good. All right. Well, that will be interesting to see what happens. Yep. Okay. So previously on ZOC, uh, last week we saw a very interesting fight that we are likely to never see in comics, um, <laughs> and that, that would be Professor Xavier, who's managed by our own Tom McNeil, who's on with us tonight. And uh, Xavier was against Wonder Man, who was managed by Eli Anthony. Um, and this fight took place in Doctor Strange's home, the Sanctum Sanctorum. To recap all the back and forth fighting, check out comicattack.former.com and look into the forum labeled ZOC. If, uh, if you're so inclined, you can even go and listen to the live draft or any of the past episodes, 1 through 24, in these very same forums. So the poll, is this still tied, Jeff? No, the poll is uh, 57% goes to... Wonder Man. Oh. And 43% goes to Professor X. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So, uh, I think I'm going to go. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I, yeah, you go, because I'm actually not sure. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, <laughs> the pressure's on. I'm, I'm no, all over the place. I'm sweating now. <laughs> all right. I'm all over the place with this one. Okay, all right. So, okay. Professor X, Wonder Man, in the Sanctum Sanctorum. Here's how I think it would go down. Um, Simon has a mind. Professor X owns him. End of story. <laughs> there, there is not much more to debate about that. Um, you know, Simon's been shown to be to, to he's been controlled. He can be mind controlled. Um, I don't think I don't think Eli is is having any. Uh, I don't th- I don't think he's thinking at all that 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 Wonder Man could really win this. I mean, Eli didn't even really debate it very much in the in the in the forum. I mean, he didn't even even when. Uh, you know, it was it was kind of people were trying to get him to respond. I think he kind of was like, uh, "Yeah, Wonder Man is holy my sacrificial lamb here." So, um, so I think that's why he threw him threw him out at at, at Xavier. But yeah, I just think um, uh, you know maybe you could make a case that Wonder Man is is faster and stronger. I mean, sure he is, um, but uh, I just I just think that Xavier. Uh, especially in current continuity, is is showing some some pretty high levels of, of power and and can get a lock on Simon really quickly and um, and just just shut him down pretty pretty easily um, without uh, having to do much of anything else. Um, I think this is like one of the main main types of powers that Simon really can't do much about. So I don't think he has much defense for it. So. So it's kind of simple for me. I th- I, th- I think uh, Professor X 
gets this one pretty pretty easily. I'm I'm inter- I'm, I'm I'm interested to know kind of why the polls swung the way that they did. Um, I'm voting. No, I, well, I I do think it's I th- I think it has to do with the fact that. Uh, unfortunately, Tom. I mean, since you haven't been on the on the site to kind of defend Professor X in the last couple of weeks, like I think I think people are. I think if people are voting against you, I think it's because they they think that maybe Eli deserves to win more than more than you. But that's possible. Yeah. Unfortunately, I I can't get on as much as I'd like to. Yeah. So I, I you know I think that's I think that might be part of it. But um, but I don't know. So that's where I am. What you gonna do there? Mr. Cape Killer. Okay, so what I'm going to do is this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you guys to convince me, okay? So here's my, here's my thing. <laughs> my, my whole thing, and I, I don't think I re-listened to the show. Um, now, mind you, I, I listened to the show again with three screaming kids, you know what I mean, running around, and my attention was not probably 100% where it should be in terms of listen, listening to that show a second time. Um, and I looked on the forums, and I, I didn't see anybody bring this up. And so th- this is what I was thinking. And right from the very second this fight started, this is what I was thinking. Um, what's to stop Wonder Man from just just bringing down the Sanctum Sanctorum around around Professor Xavier's ears? Hmm. Do you know what I mean? And it, and it wouldn't take him long. Like, it's not like, you know, he needs to get out there and start smashing walls one by one or anything like that. Like, he's... He's Wonder Man. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's super strong. He's super fast. Mm. And as of right now in the Marvel Universe, he's he's a psychopath. You know what I mean? Like, so like nobody could argue and say, well, Wonder Man wouldn't do that to Xavier. Actually, I think it might be the very first thing he does. Well, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, he he. He did that with the Avengers recently. I mean, mm-hmm. he brought the house down on him. Yeah, that's what made me think it. Right. Wow. So, that like what like the the thing that I was curious was what's to stop him from just blowing up right right where he is you know what I mean like right in the spot that he is he knows he's in a fight he knows Xavier's in the house um, and just bringing the house down on Xavier you know what I mean because Wonder Man's gonna walk away from that right uh-huh. like he's just gonna pull himself out of the rubble and, and he's done right is Xavier dead who knows probably not but that's that's kind of what I was thinking but yeah yeah what what would what would be Xavier's defense there? Yeah, that's that's not a bad that's not a bad rationale. And one of the things that I was wondering though is, and this is what I was hoping is, as because some people started mentioning that the the Sanctum Sanctorum kind of has its own defenses. Like they didn't use that word; they didn't say it has its own defenses, but they talked about the house being like sentient almost. You know what I mean? Like you know, people's powers act weird inside the house and. All of that kind of stuff like that, right? Right. So, so I wasn't sure. Like, can would would Simon be able to even destroy the house? You know what I mean? Like, and I actually researched that to try and see if I could find something on it, and I couldn't find anything on it. Really? On the system. Like the closest thing that I could find is that I know, and and for me this might have, this bode didn't bode well for Xavier, um, either. The the closest thing that I could find was that that people have a difficult time penetrating. Sanctum Sanctorum with telepathic abilities and, and things like that and scanning devices and all that kind of stuff. Um, during Civil War, the only way they could even figure out if the new Avengers were in the Sanctum Sanctorum, because I don't remember Doctor Strange cast a spell 
and uh, it made it look like it was all decrepit, and it had a big sign out front that said um, Star- uh, Starbucks coming soon or something like that. Yeah, right. Wasn't and, it – I thought it was actually destroyed before then. Was it the Sanctum Sanctorum destroyed at one point? I don't know. Well, I don't know, but but it, I know that Doctor Strange cast a spell so that nobody could detect them in there, and the only way that they could do it, like they went there with devices and everything, and they couldn't, you know, Iron Man and the group, they couldn't, like in this Iron Man, they they couldn't they couldn't detect if they were inside, and the only so then they brought Brother Voodoo, um, to the front doorstep, right? Because then they could use magic against magic. So that I wasn't sure about that either, right? How does this is this house going to negate? Professor Xavier's powers, maybe it negates both their powers. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I looked that up. I couldn't find anything about it. Like, so there's right. just these these brief little hints and these brief little references. Um, so I don't know because there's also the argument that you know Xavier could shut down his mind in a second. Now the only thing with that is is that I've never seen Xavier shut down anybody's mind in one second. Right. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that he can't. Like we know he can. Well, exactly. he would have to. He would have to scan. And that takes more than a second. I mean, yeah. now you could say, well, he's Wonder Man's the only other person in the building, um, that kind of thing. But I don't, I don't you know, I don't know. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the argument there goes down to can can Wonder Man drop the house before uh, before Xavier uh, mind blasts him? But I think say say they happen simultaneously. Say um, Wonder Man just decides to blow the house, and at that exact moment, Xavier locks onto his mind and shuts it down. Um, still, the person who's physically going to be able to get it up is Wonder Man. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's, I hadn't it's, thought of that. Well, and, and see, and I, I was looking at this one, too, as in terms of how would I argue this fight. Like, if I was the one debating, right. how would I argue this fight? And one of the things that I would say, I think, is is that, like you just said, that Wonder Man's the only other person in the Sanctum Sanctorum with, um, with Professor X. One of the w- things I would argue to that would, I'd say, yeah, he, you're probably right, but does that mean that he's the only other consciousness in the Sanctum Sanctorum? Because I'd I'd be I'd be hard pressed to say yes to that. Like yeah. that whole place is just filled with. Uh, you know, consciousnesses and, you know, different um, things on the astral planes and presence. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like a, it's a hub for that kind of energy, that kind of, you know? Right. Uh, um, so, so I don't know. Like, I, like, I, I don't know. I kind of think Wonder Man might take it. Um, but, but that's why I wanted you guys to tell me I'm wrong. I, I think I think you could argue it either way. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Can I step in here? <laughs> I, I, I respect Eli, who's not here to defend himself. I don't want to jump in and try to re-argue the battle without an opponent. So I, I, I no, mean, but it's not. It's not. You know what? It's not like that, right? Like, the, like, I don't know. What the reason why I brought it up here and, and wanted you to jump in, Tom, is because for me, we I go way back to COC one. And not DOC Live one, but COC one, and the whole reason Jeff and myself started this entire game to begin with was so that you know comic geeks could sit down and talk about who beats up who in a fight, um, the kind of fights you would never see in comic books, you know. Um, so you know to have you jump in and talk about this right now, I don't think it's unfair to Eli. I think this is this is this is what it's all about. Okay. What you think, Jeff? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree completely. Yeah. I mean, my my thinking was that. 
that the the house itself, the sanctum, is going to resist any attempt to destroy it. It's not going to be just, you know, si- I don't think Simon would be able to just blow the place up because the, unless sanctum kind of wanted it. I think that I read somewhere that there was a an incident in the Ultimate Universe where where like a, a terrestrial object destroyed the sanctum, but. Generally, in the Marvel universe, uh, the the main the main universe, the house has, as we mentioned, it has a mind of its own, and if it doesn't want to be destroyed, it's not going to be destroyed. You know, it, it would it would rebuff his uh, attempts to explode the place, and you know, based on uh, you know, what we've seen with Simon, he he is very vulnerable to tel- telepathic uh, influence, and that that was kind of a question I had was was. Uh, um, about you know Xavier's the, the effectiveness of Xavier's tele- telepathy within the uh, within the house, but you know I think once they're inside the boundaries, I, I think that uh, you know the house recognizes Xavier. He's been there before. It's it's not going to uh, necessarily block him as well as as if, say he was trying to find the place. You know, it's the difference between him being already being inside the the uh, wards and being outside. Okay, here, here's the um, here's the Wikipedia page for Sanctum Sanctorum. It says under defenses after construction constructing the house, Doctor Strange cast a permanent intricate spell of mystical force to protect it. Despite this, it was seemingly destroyed in a siege by mystical forces during the Midnight Sun storyline, while various heroes such as the Night Stalkers, Ghost Rider, and Johnny Blaze were hiding inside. During the World War Hulk storyline, Sanctum was partially invaded by the forces of the alien Warbound. Its its defensive enchantments and illusions shattered by Heroium? I I don't know how to say his name. Heroium. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Uh, after using unacceptable dark magics in the fight against the Hulk, the Sanctum was is invaded by the Hood's armies, uh, as mentioned before. The fight devastates the Sanctum, though the vi- villains are defeated. Um, Doctor Strange is forced to retreat when the battle allows the government-sanctioned Mighty Avengers to take over the Sanctum. Brother Voodoo is called in to neutralize the rem- remnants of the defensive magics. So, it, to me, that's what that sounds like is that the that the house could be brought down. That's what that sounds like to me. It sounds like the house can be? Yes. Because, uh, yeah, because... But wasn't it brought down by what you just read? Wasn't it brought down by mystical forces? No, it was invaded by the forces of the warbound. Uh, oh, well, yeah, I guess so. I guess, uh... Yeah, it seems like there's a, a mystical. Um, uh, it's like to to invade the house, you have to have a mystical influence. Oh, I see. Well, okay, and I that's see. the thing too, right? The warbound, the warbound had two characters in yes. them who were both magical, right? Magical, who were right, 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 right. Yeah, so we're looking at non-magical now. now you and the hood, the first... and and the hood also uh, has a mystical, has has a has a magical presence. Yeah, his powers were completely magical, right? Exactly. Yeah, so we're we're talking about two totally non-magical characters in a magical environment. So that okay. that's that that leads it to, to being uh, kind of unpredictable as to what's going to actually happen. And I was, yeah, in selecting the environment, it, it was like my choices were Rikers, which okay, we've got a bunch of adamantium cells that are with inhibitor fields. That's really not going to help Xavier much. And uh, was the other environment was. Uh, Gosh, I can't remember right now what the what the third environment was, but in other words, none of the environments really helped me out at all. So I, I picked the Sanctum because that that was a, at least something where he could use his telepathy. All right. 
All right. Well, I I, I think I'm I am uh, still in a place where I'm going to choose Professor Professor X. That's where I am. Man, this is tough. <laughs> yeah. Um. And if you remember, we had the CSC last the last CSC. We we had a, a uh, Wonder Man against uh, against uh, Exodus, and that was pretty much a non a no brainer that that Exodus is going to dominate Wonder Man. So I figured, uh, you know, if if you have that, then uh, if Exodus can dominate, then Xavier definitely could. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Xavier only because I think. I think the more that, like when Jeff read the wiki page and stuff like that, I think, I don't think, I, I don't think Simon could bring that house down. I don't think, uh, right. I think that, I, I think it would probably have enchantments and things like that that would prevent Wonder Man from being able to do that. Like if it was in another mansion or another place that wasn't like that, then right. I, think, I think he just dropped the place right on Xavier's head. But I think, uh, yeah, I think it's too protected to to have that happen. So, so yeah, okay, I'm going to say David here. Oh, man. By the skin of his teeth, oh. Tom McNeely. <laughs> he ekes by another one. <laughs> wow. That was such a tough one, though. Like, for me, that's like, that could go either way. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you know what else I was thinking, too? This is completely unrelated um, to the Xavier... Uh, Wonder Man fight, but in reading the the really absolutely horrible AVX book this week, um, where uh, Black Panther fought fought Storm, oh, and yeah, they were they were talking about the ionic energy, ionic energy, and how she could like she could smell it and taste it, and then she could control it and stuff like that. I wonder if she fought if she was to fight Wonder Man, um, Storm should technically then be able to just control him, right? Yeah, based like, on that, throw, like, like throw him around, and you know, like as though, you know, who wrote that? Like, like he's a human freezy that she's eating or something. You know what I mean? Like she could just, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty ridiculous. Um, yeah. All oh, right. Sorry, sorry for the indecision. I, I just thought this was a this was a tough one for me. Like I, I, and and I do. I actually am a big Wonder Man fan. Like I, I know lots of people. There's lots of hate for Wonder Man. Um, I've always loved loved Wonder. He's been one of my favorite Avengers. Right. All right. So uh, Tom goes on to fight tonight um, uh, in another day. So congratulations there, buddy. Yeah, All right. Um, and and now we're gonna hear it from Eli because he's gonna say, "You let Tom, <laughs> you let Tom argue and convince y'all." And so, oh well. Well, I, I did did hold off just to make sure. I didn't want to get an unfair advantage here. Right, right. Well, and just so people know that, I mean, really, what this this game is all boils down to is exactly what Ian said. I mean, it's it's about it's really about the characters and fighting fighting who you know that that's really what we're what we're what we have to base this game on is the characters versus the characters and and who would win in a fight it's not it's not bias on who you know argues the most or or in any of those kind of things which has always been kind of the achilles heel of the game uh you know but at the same time that's we, we you know that's the way we do it so yeah the only the only requirement that we have is that you uh, you attend the podcast and you know record your rationale 
Right. Exactly. Exactly. So. Okay, doke. So we've got a question from the uh, from from the aforementioned Eli Anthony, and he asks, "The entire DC and Marvel universes fight each other, fight against each other. One universe against the other. Who wins?" Ian, go for it. Uh, DC. Really? Uh. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think DC absolutely cleans. Um, the, Excuse me. If well, you know what I, I I look at this I look at this using our COC rules, right? Current continuity rules. Um, and in terms of current continuity, when you look at Marvel, um, the biggest thing they'd have going against going for them against the DC universe would be their telepaths, right? Yeah. But when you look at the treatment of the telepaths in the AVX series, um, they're they're almost you know, the Avengers talk about how afraid they were of the telepaths, but ultimately at the end of each book, they just took them down mm. with really stupid stories and really stupid defenses and things like that. Don't get me wrong. Just it's, it's you know, it's planet, it's World War Hulk stupidity, but <laughs> it's, you know. They just bring a building down on them or? Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, they have, Tony Stark has, you know, you know, it seems like the new thing for Marvel now is a nanobot for everything. You know what I mean? They got nanobots for this and nanobots for that. And, oh, no, this character's just passed out. Why is that? Well, there's microscopic nanobots in the air now that are, you know what I mean? And that's, that's, their, that's their defense for everything. But that's the one thing. So I think the telepaths have been shortchanged. Um, if I was writing the books in the Marvel Universe, Marvel would destroy DC because the telepaths would be, you know, sitting on thrones in different corners of the planet kind of thing. Right. Uh, <clears throat> the other reason is, I think the top the top tier characters in Marvel have been they've all been brought down a notch. Um, they're not they're not as powerful as they used to be, which is why I love Marvel. Um, you have a character like the Sentry, right? So the Sentry was our answer to Superman. Well, the Sentry's gone, um, you know. And then you have another really powerful character that the Sentry tore in half, and that's Ares. Um, Iron Man no longer has his extremist armor. When he had his extremist armor, he was basically unstoppable, right? He doesn't have that anymore. Uh, Thor, even Thor, you know, he's getting beat up every second week in his books now. Um, so all of all of them, all of Marvel's top characters, even even you look at the Hulk, right? Hulk, who knows how powerful Hulk is anymore? Like what's going on with the Hulk? Who knows? Um, Red Hulk, same deal. So. Our top characters, I don't think they they match up very well with the DC top characters anymore. Um, whereas the DC top characters, you know, we've, we've always we've talked about this. They're, Wonder Woman is the female version of Superman. Uh, you know, Flash is basically Superman without a cape. Uh, they're know, infallible. He, that's that's the problem. Yeah, that's they're they're all they're all based on the same hero archetype. Like they're all they, they're all molded from the same freaking character they're all molded from superman and then they just change their power a little bit here instead of you know green lantern's different because you know his power doesn't come from the sun his power comes from a ring but he's the same fucking guy you know what i mean like it's so i think dc slaughters them it's not because i like dc martian it's, martian manhunter would clean house too yeah, yeah okay okay um i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna rebuke your 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 rationale there and uh and i I would say that marvel completely destroys them and and here's why um 
One one reason is if you're if you really are going by current continuity, then you've got a then you've got a universe of 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 heroes in the DC universe who are only at about how how many years five years since they started. Yeah, five. Is that is that how since the new Fifty Two? Okay, you've got Marvel Comics. Uh, universe which has been going on for you know at least in their time period at least 20 years and um, uh, and so you've got all that added experience okay so so you've got the experience factor right now uh, that to me is he- way heavy on on Marvel and then um, and then there are there are there are really three main things that I think distinguish um, Against all of those, those Mar- I mean, those DC archetype characters. Um, first, you have the Hulk, who I, I, I say I think he would beat Superman. I don't, I don't, I, you know, I that's just me. Um, you also have the Phoenix, and the the Phoenix Force uh, would 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 decimate the you know those idiots. And then third, you have you have Thanos. And and Thanos is just badass. Um, there's nobody in the DC universe that could take you down, Thanos. I don't think. Dark side. Nah, I don't think so. Dark side, smart side. Anyway, so <laughs> you know, you you pit you pit those guys. And I, I just got done this afternoon. I just got done uh, watching. Um, the, I, I do have to say this. You know, for all those folks out there who think that I I just hate everything in DC, I really don't. I, I love. Um, I've really been liking their the, their animated movies that they've been putting out recently, and uh, uh, and they did uh, I, today. I watched the one uh, which was Justice League Doom, and have you also seen that? It's based on the story um, it, that Mark Wade did in JLA called um, Tower of Babel, where basically um, Batman has basically he has the Xavier protocols, um, but they're bat- the Batman protocols for the members of the Justice League, and so but those plans fall into the wrong hands, and all the Justice League gets taken out pretty systematically, pretty quickly um, by their by, by various villains, and so um, you know. So, to, you know, maybe that's also where I'm coming from is because I just watched that like two hours ago. And so I saw all these heroes who are who are great and powerful heroes, but they all got they all have major weaknesses. And uh, and I think the Marvel characters are smart enough to exploit those weaknesses and uh, and take them down pretty quickly. So that's why I think Marvel would win. Tom, uh, of course I'm gonna go to DC. Yeah, why? Uh, uh, you you look at the uh, the amount of power that just the the accumulated power of the DC characters is kind of going along with what Ian said. It's the, not uh, more than the Marvel characters. It's not uh, more. The Marvel characters tend to be more human humanistic and and tied more to the real world than DC characters. Like you look at just the Green Lantern Corps, you've got 7,200 Green Lanterns, each with the most powerful weapon in the universe. Uh, and then on top of that, you also have the other six uh, cores, well, five cores, because the Sinestro core is dead. But uh, you, you've got uh, you know all these, just the power rings alone. And then on top of that, uh, like Superman, you mentioned Superman versus Hulk, but you've also got Superman, Supergirl, Superboy, and Power Girl. Hey, two words. Molecule Man. Uh, Firestorm. 
They're they're now like hundreds of firestorms. Uh, screw that. Captain <laughs> Adam, who is uh, who is like some Doctor Manhattan type character. Uh, you got Swamp Thing, uh, who is you got Man Thing. Uh, yeah, Swamp Thing's more more uh, tied uh. into green. Plus, you have Animal Man, who's tied into the red. And Arcane, who's tied into the rot. So you've got three equal, equal powerful characters. I can't argue with what Tom's saying right now because I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> right. Every Animal Man and Swamp Thing? No. Right now in Swamp Thing, you've got Swamp Thing and Animal Man, you've got a three way war between the three basic forces of the line the green, the red, and the rot. And they, they counterbalance each other, and basically the rod is trying to take over. So you've got Swamp Thing, who's Avatar, the green, and uh, and Animal Man, who's the, kind of the warrior for the red, because his daughter is actually the Avatar. But uh, then then the uh, rot's uh, Avatar is, is Anton Arcane. So you've got, you've got these three equal powerful forces up against each other. Uh, you've got... Uh, you know, uh, Captain Adam is, is like some... He's basically a Dr. Manhattan type. He's, he's just totally... Disconnect. He's he's like beyond the universe in power. And uh, then the then Firestorm. You've got not only one Firestorm, but but the two key character, two lead characters, and then they they're like just the beginnings of an entire apparently like half apparently half the DC universe are all mm. power, Firestorm powered. Okay, hey, hey. He- hearing Tom talk right. has has aggravated me so much. I changed my pick back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, Dan, 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 what do you think? Uh, so tough. Um, you know, I don't want to seem I don't want to sound like a total a total Marvel uh fanboy. Uh, I like actually me. thought about I actually thought about this <laughs> a little. If we're talking strictly Marvel Earth versus DC Earth, I think DC wipes the floor with Marvel Heroes. But if you look at the grand scheme of things if you look yeah sure the green lantern there's the green lantern core and all that but if you look at marvel cosmic i think marvel cosmic would just annihilate uh the dc universe no pun intended i i mean you look at the you look at the you look at the kree you look i mean yeah there's not much left of the nova core but you look at the Guardians of the Galaxy and who's, who they've faced. Uh, you look at the, the Living Tribunal. You look at Galactus. You look at all, all of these cosmic, powerful entities, the Silver Surfer. You ban those all together, including the, the Marvel Earth heroes. And, and I don't think DC stands a chance. But, uh, but yeah, if, it was just, if we were just simply keeping it on Earth, then, then for sure uh, DC would win. They have them more... Powerful, clean-cut, boring-ass heroes. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, I'm not numbered here. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, actually, I, I am I am off, I am arguing from a disadvantage because given the new New Fifty Two, it, it's like I really don't know what I can include and what I cannot. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like Dark Side's. It, you know, Darkseid was the first big villain that, that the Justice League faced, but really he hasn't been checked out that much. He hasn't right. done a whole lot. Right. So, you know, what, what does he still have from the old continuity? You know, you, you don't know what you can argue from the uh, from the new continuity. Right. Because so much of the DC Universe is still undefined. Right. Fucking hey, Tom, video. 
based on the based on the current writing of DC right now, I think Aquaman could take down the Marvel universe himself. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a that's a nice little segue into uh, into our next little uh, our next little our next little thing there. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, in the spirit of superheroes fighting superheroes, it's tradition here on the show for all the participants, Jeff and myself, to choose. Uh, one fight from this week's comics that we consider to be the highlight fight of the week. And I'll start um, to help that segue along a little bit. Um, my fight of the week comes from Aquaman number 12. Wow. Ooh, yeah. I know I've said it on the show a bunch of times. I've really actually been enjoying, been enjoying Aquaman. Um, good book. Really good art. Uh, the art, the art's beyond good. Actually, it's it's exceptional. The art's so good. Um, and uh, I picked I picked this as my fight of the week because the thing I like about Aquaman is in the, the what I like about the way Jeff Johns is, is portraying him is he is one savage dude. Like he is, he's <clears throat> Jeff Johns has really done a nice job of redefining who this character is. Um, he's not some pushover. He's uh, it was in the, it was in this week's Justice League book. Is that the one with Wonder Man and or Wonder Woman and Superman Super, kissing yeah. on the front? Right. Um, <clears throat> in that in that issue, I bought that this week as well. He, uh, Aquaman actually makes a play for um, the leadership role of the group, and you know comes right out and says Batman sucks. You know what I mean? He says to him, he's like, "You suck." Like you. You you got serious per, you serious problems with dealing with other people. How can you be the leader of a group? You know, like and, and he comes right out. He says, "I want to be the leader. I, I lead Atlantis. I'm tougher than you are. I'm badass." You know, I was like, "Wow, that's awesome." Um, the book sucked, but that that part was cool. But um, <laughs> Aquaman twelve was uh, was great because Aquaman his thing is he's been going after Black Manta for a little while in this book. And, you know, if if you were like anything like me, like. Black Manta and Aquaman basically symbolized everything I freaking hated about DC my entire life growing up. Um, you know, Black Manta was some dude in a scuba helmet. You know, like, it was, it was ridiculous. Um, but, like I said, Jeff Johns redefined these characters and made them just more vicious and mean and really super aggressive. So Aquaman finally catches up with them in this book. Um, and... Uh, uh, kind of jumps in through the back door like any good superhero would and stops Black Manta from assassinating um see this is my lack of my lack of DC knowledge. I think his name is is Shin. Dr. Shin. Yeah, he's like a scientist who was uh investigating uh Aquaman back when I think his father I think his father had him looking into Aquaman's powers or something. Yeah, yeah. So, so Black Manta was about to assassinate this Dr. Shin guy. I had him down on his hands and he's gun to the head, all that kind of stuff. And then Aquaman busts in through the back door. And, you know, normally this is the part in the comic book where, you know, the, the superhero starts beating up the bad guys. Well, the very first thing that Aquaman does is he takes his big golden trident and he pops it through uh, one, of, uh, one of Black Manta's henchmen. So, like, he kills him. Like, right, right there, just drops him down dead. And, like, it's awesome because the trident, you can see it going into the back and coming out through his chest. Like, this guy's... This guy's total fish meat laying on the floor. And then Aquaman just starts cleaning house. And he's just, he's killing guys left, right, and center. Like, he's not just knocking them out. He's killing all of these guys. Wow. And this is Aquaman's new thing, right? Like, he's, 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 
he's a hero, but when it comes to the villains, there's, you know, he takes no prisoners. Um, and so then they all start firing their guns at him, and it's great because he just kind of turns his back a little bit to the gunfire, and the bullets are bouncing off his back and stuff, which is cool because, he, you know, he's not just a, a dude who can breathe and swim underwater. Um, he's super strong and has, you know, some invulnerability to him too. So John's has really done a nice job of recreating this character. He, he, uh, he really intrigues me. Um, I hope... I hope that it that uh, that that it keeps going in this direction because I like you guys know I'll drop this book in a heartbeat the second that <laughs> it bothers me. Um, and and likewise with Justice League, if Jeff not not that John should write the book to appease you know poor old Ian Johnson up in Canada, but um, if he were to write the Justice League book and have Aquaman constantly fighting with those guys, in in but in that tough persona, that tough guy persona. Um, I think that would be cool. And now that I say this out loud, I think I think Johns may have stolen a little bit of uh, of uh, of Aquaman's attitude from from Namor. Yeah, which is funny because I never thought of that till this very second. But right. he's got a bit of Namor in him, and you know, so and maybe that's what he needed. Right, right. <clears throat> yeah, right. well, Johns always played him ironically. Like everybody expects something from Aquaman as being you know the Family Guy versus of Aquaman, the useless one. And uh, and and then turning down on his head, and that's really been a good you know he's done a good job with that, and and changing expectations. Cool. All right. Um, he's, hey Jeff. Yeah. Just so you know, too, he's fighting Black Manta, and Manta he's been going around and collecting all these artifacts that were sort of they're sort of like the the Infinity Gems, kind of not quite as powerful, but that kind of an idea. And then when he puts them together, the he the last thing he gets is this giant scepter. Um, and in there's in the, not this issue, but the last issue I believe it was really cool because they gave this whole backstory about how this scepter was actually is so powerful that it was the thing that that sunk um, Atlantis and brought that brought it down to the bottom of the ocean and stuff. So it has this all this really good lore in it and stuff right. too. This really good storytelling. Cool. I'm still not gonna read it. Um... <laughs> you read that one bad story <laughs> uh, no I did it was awful um, alright uh, my fight of the week comes from Lock and Key Grindhouse number one do you guys any of you read anything Lock and Key at all no nope okay no. so you don't, don't know uh, okay well um, so the idea behind Lock and Key really is, 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 is it's based around this house and basically there's this house that has a bunch of magic keys that allow the the person who's using the key to do uh, cool, really cool, amazing stuff. Okay, that's the whole premise of the whole thing, um, and it's a really great series. So you go back and and get the whole thing. Well, this is this is just a one shot that was that's done. Um, usually, uh, writer Joe Hill and and artist Gabe Rodriguez um, they do uh, like a one shot in between the. Uh, the, the the larger series that they have, and they usually they've done four or five um, like six issue series, uh, uh, mini series of of this whole story, ongoing story. But anyway, so this is just the a one shot that's that's in there, and basically the whole premise is that there are these thugs that uh, end up uh, coming to this house, which is called Key House, and um, they uh, they basically uh, bully their way into the house because they're 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 basically waiting to get their to get their ship uh, so that they can leave uh, 
after robbing a bunch of banks and, and killing a bunch of people and all this stuff. So they basically kind of just walk up to this house and try to take over. Well, they uh, – so the, the family that lived there, uh, the Locke family, um, they uh, – they, they basically, they, you know, they have to let these guys in because they're, you know, they're holding guns to their, you know, head and all this stuff. But basically this whole, the whole issue is about how they use the house as a weapon against these, uh, against these, these crooks, these criminals. And so there's one guy who's just really slimy and they're like, these are like French guys and like, they're just really schmarmy and really gross and, um, and one of them uh, just kind of keeps groping this, you know, one of the uh, one of the like the, the the teenage or I guess she's not teenage. She's like twenty years old daughter. And um, and so uh, so anyway, so basically what they end up saying is is that they're gonna uh, they're gonna take the girls, like the the mom and the and the daughter, and and they're gonna go upstairs and and basically rape them, I guess. And uh, and so they go into separate rooms. Well. Uh, the, 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 the sleazy, the sleazy French guy, you know, starts, you know, doing his thing and, and starts, you know, uh, ripping her clothes off and all this stuff. Well, she decides that she'll, she'll play along a little bit and she says she's going to go to the closet and, uh, and, and put something nice for him on. And, uh, she goes in and there's a little door in the closet and there's a little key. One of the keys is a key that will make the, the key holder change sexes. Um, and so, and it's been used in, in previous stories before, um, uh, pretty brilliantly. And so what she, what she decides to do, she, so she opens the door, this little bitty door and she crawls through and he goes after her. And, uh, and so when they, when they, when they get to the other side of the door, uh, now she, uh, she's a guy and he's a girl. And so, uh, so she just kicks the living crap out of him because she's you know she's beefed up and has you know got muscles and all this stuff and and uh and, and basically he's like freaking out because he's got you know these huge boobs and stuff and and uh so anyway um but the whole issue i mean that's just one example of of there, there's some other really cool examples of how the rest of the family uses the house and then the keys to uh to basically get rid of these these crooks, and so it's just a fun one-shot story. You don't even really have to know much about uh, lock and key to even know what's really going on. You just have to know that this house does crazy, crazy things. So, um, uh, so anyway, it's a great little great little fight. So, check it out. You read some messed up books, man. Yeah, I know. I know. It's that. It's that. It's the tales from the water cooler influence. It's, good thing, uh, good thing Eli's not on tonight. He would not be. He would not approve <laughs> of the switching, <laughs> the switching of the sexes. Yeah, mm -hmm. probably not. Probably not. So, uh, all right, Dan, how about you? Uh, uh, um, yeah. I don't know. Hey, it was hard for me hey. to even pick. Yeah, I got one for you. You should hey, pick you... Avenging Spider-Man and. <laughs> and your fight would be you fighting to stay awake while reading it. Yes, definitely. That <laughs> is such a horrible book. I said, did you see my comment? Yes, I did. Oh, Steve Dillon, horrible. Anyways, <laughs> no, loved, my fight. I loved when Dillon. Do you remember when on the Wolverine series back, like I don't know, five six years ago, when Dillon and Chaykin were like they were like tag team in the Wolverine book. 
Oh, that's horrible. Jake don't even want to think about Dylan, it. And Jake would do it, and then Dylan, I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> what, is it with these, what is it with these British uh, artists? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. I've got uh, a British artist for mine, so. What's that? I have a cool British artist for mine. Oh, from your fight of the week? Yeah. Well, that that's a first. <laughs> Anyways, my fight of the week comes from uh, I don't know, it's kind of stupid but whatever, uh, from Web of Spider-Man uh, 1.89.2 uh, I don't point know if two? you guys have point two? Point two, yeah, because it was oh a two-parter they did the same with the um, which one was it, uh, Spectacular Spider-Man I believe, there was a point one and a point two oh um, just for Spider-Man's 50th birthday thing, right. anyways uh <laughs> I uh, the the art is by I I hadn't seen this guy before. Uh, the art is by Damien Scott, and it's actually pretty groovy art. I I really enjoyed this art style. It's it's very different. It's very dynamic and sort of animated and cartoony, but still pretty gritty and cool. Anyways, I I thought the art was was at least different and entertaining. It's definitely a way above Steve Dillon. Um, so essentially what happens is Spidey meets up with, it's, 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 it's kind of a throwaway two part story. It's not, it's not really linked into any sort of continuity or anything like that. It's just a, a fun little two parter, uh, from a Spider-Man story. So he's meeting, he's meeting up with these Brooklyn Avengers, um, uh, which I assume don't actually exist. They've never been seen before or anything or just for the purpose of the story and it's pretty funny because the all the members of these brooklyn avengers are kind of a, a caricature of like basically i would say the x-men uh, they have sci-fi which is two telepathic and tele one telepathic one telekinetic and their brothers and they have a telepathic link there's rotary a guy who can spin objects around that's it. That's his power. Uh, the hipster can uh, hypnotize or mesmerize people. There's this old fat lady called Mince, and she charges delicious candy into deadly weapons. You know, it's kind of like Gambit. And there's this uh, young girl. Avengers. What's that? Sounds as good as the Great Lakes Avengers. Yeah, yeah. It's it's in the same vein, you know. And uh, they have paintball. It's a young girl who generates generates paint bursts. So like Jubilee. But they're paint chips instead of fireworks. <laughs> and Boilermaker, who's an intuitive machine repair person, so she's kind of like Forge. Anyway, so you got these these ridiculous characters. Uh, Spidey's almost ashamed to even know these people. But uh, by the second issue, uh, they're fighting this guy called the Red Hook, who kind of looks like a hobgoblinish sort of villain. And. Uh, just just for the art alone, I think is what kind of makes this this fight kind of groovy. So they're all taking them on, and these guys they're all they're all jokes. They're all you know amateurs and whatever. So they try to use their powers against this guy. And all, I, as far as I can tell, this villain all he does is he has this football equipment on and these red hooks. I don't see him really have any superpowers. But uh, and of course, Spider-Man runs out of webbing right in the middle of it, and uh, they're all going. So everybody sort of tries and to do their own little special power, which are useless. They have the most useless powers in the world. So nothing's working, really, until uh, until one guy at the end 
he uh it's one of the brothers because the other brother died spoiler alert the other brother died so he ended up uh throwing the guy off a building essentially but not before that they discovered that the villain so they kind of beat this guy and then took his mask off and they find out that the villain was their landlord all along because they all got their their powers because they lived in some about to be condemned kind of building or something so they find out that it's the landlord and the landlord's the one that caused them to have all their powers and the other landlord was trying to kill them and that moment in the book there reminded me like i was sure the landlord was about to to say i would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you and your damn dog you know it's just <laughs> it is so scooby-doo and, and fun so it, it's really the fight's kind of ridiculous but the art is cool and it's it's entertaining and so i put it as my fight of the week it was just kind of fun that's it <laughs> <laughs> nice all right tom okay um i chose the hellblazer 292 this is the uh DC's current longest running series right now. This is how they rebooted everything else. So um, the uh, it's by uh, Peter Milligan and Simon Disley. So you you, you can't diss uh, Simon Disley's art as far as British artists get. Uh, anyway, the story is that uh, it's, it's kind of a, a standalone story uh, between a couple of story arcs, and uh, the whole thing is Constantine's wife, uh, Epiphany Greaves, is uh, it, it's. Uh, uh, she and uh, Constantine go to see a werewolf movie, and basically they both kind of are, are actually as a Constantine's up being a little bit creeped out by it. And she makes a comment about it, and it, it, it makes her um, start speculating. Maybe he was the guy who uh, stepped in earlier, and it flashes back to when she was 14 years old. And remember, there's a huge age difference between Constantine and, and Epiphany. Even though they're married, it's, it's like she's almost a trophy wife to him. And it goes back to when she was 14, and her father, who's a local gangster, was trying. He had a scam going where he was trying to become a member of the House of Lords in in uh, in England, of course. And uh, the uh, basically the the price was a, a pretty much a a magical uh, Viagra for all these aging uh, lords to uh, you know to enhance their their prowess. And so he goes to Epiphany. Epiphany, who was still kind of new to the alchemy game, makes up a potion. But the potion ends up uh, kind of overdoing it and turns them all into werewolves. So her her father ends up hiring Constantine. And, and this is the thing that the Epiphany doesn't know. is All she knows is her father hired somebody to uh, deliver the antidote to, the, uh, to all these uh, werewolf, uh, these wolfed-out lords. And... Um, it turned out it was Constantine, and uh, he goes up against one of the werewolves and gets scratched and becomes a werewolf himself. And uh, so it ends up with uh, you know Epiphany versus Constantine, and ends up being uh, he ends up being cured, but not before. Um, uh, I mean, he ends up being cured, but he, he doesn't remember any of it. So it's kind of uh, the whole thing's like a little speculation. Like, like Constantine doesn't really know if he was a werewolf that attacked Epiphany. And Epiphany's not sure if Costume is a werewolf that attacked her, but it, you know, as since you're seeing from outside the story, you do know it was. But it, uh, it, it just uh, is kind of a cool little um, break from the usual action in Hellblazer. All right. Well, there you yeah. go. I think in a, in a COC first, uh, we had uh, more non-Marvel books as our fights of the week uh, than we had Marvel books. So, yeah, I actually had two DC books. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. 
All right. So now on to the main event. Um, tonight's fight features the Protector, managed by Dan Brienne, versus Professor Charles Xavier, managed by Tommy Neely, in Hell's Kitchen. And you'll want to listen to the whole podcast, um, and after the fight, we, we'll give you a little bit more game information. So uh, tonight's coin toss, Tom gets to call. Okay, what's the point of this, Damien? All right, so it's a nickel. So we've got the beaver on one side, queen on the other. What do you want, Tom? You want the beaver or the queen? I'll take the queen this time. Okay. I'll avoid the uh, the, the usual reference. <laughs> <laughs> ah, queen it is. Okay, uh, I'll let Dan go first. All right, if I must. <laughs> that's his biggest. That's his biggest weakness, right there. <laughs> Going first by his, by not his own choosing. Yeah. By not my own choosing. Yeah. All right. What is there to say about this fight? Okay, so um, just to get it out there for those who might not know this, uh, if you haven't been following current Marvel continuity. The Protector no longer, unfortunately, no longer has his um, uh, nigga bands that were given to him by the Supreme Intelligence, which, which means he has lost some of his abilities, uh, which, uh, you know, some of those were uh, basically the nigga bands kind of took psionic energy and made them into hard concussive blasts or... Well, there's a bit of some tricky stuff going on with some of his previous gadgets that he had compared to what his protector armor offered. But for sure, he cannot fly anymore. He cannot teleport anymore. And I uh, can't remember there was a third thing. Well, of course, he doesn't have the Nega Bands, which were a huge source of power for him. Uh, but he does, still inha- he does still have all his inherent Kree powers. Uh, now, just, you know... Physiology alone, uh, Novar can still can still do. He's still triple jointed. He can still stick to walls. Uh, he still has his mind control saliva, uh, which has uh, uh, Ian's favorite nano machines. <laughs> <laughs> those are those are great. All of those are great powers. Yeah, uh, he has the super speed, super reflexes, and uh, probably his most powerful um, his most powerful weapon is his white run uh the white run which basically uh has him his body running on an instinct uh with zero distraction so this allows him to focus and run at basically the optimal top speed which from what we've seen in the comics before would probably range somewhere in the in the quicksilver uh speed range uh from what they were showing of course that wasn't confirmed in words so much but uh it's still there uh, in Hell's Kitchen is uh, essentially a virtual playground for a guy like Novar. Uh, I mean, uh, again, with his insect-like sort of abilities, uh, he can he can crawl, he can jump, he can run super fast, he can basically just pinball all over Hell's Kitchen. Um, something that Charles Xavier obviously cannot do, even with the use of his legs. Uh, he has essentially no physical ability at all um now the other part that i am unsure of 
because of, of what's going on with Novar, is if he still has access to his previous Kree weaponry, uh, which, which gave him his uh, alien suit, which, had, uh, which was basically an armor, uh, high-density armor. Uh, he also had his gauntlets, which he could create his uh, Wii, we- er, Wii weapons. Yes, his Wii weapons. His Kree weapons. I thought uh, you were going to say Weed Whacker. His Weed Whacker. <laughs> he could probably create a, a, a freaky sort of Cree weed whacker if he wanted to. <laughs> uh, so he had he had those abilities. He also had uh, access to the Plex intelligence um, and the pocket battlefield. Now I'm going to assume I'm actually going to assume that he does not have access to these things, um, just because I I like to play fair. But I don't think he necessarily needs them. Uh, in this case, I think. You know, Charles Xavier would be walking around Hell's Kitchen. It's essentially his only mode of transportation. Or maybe he takes a cab to go looking for uh, Novavar. Uh, there are a lot of people in Hell's Kitchens. That, that, that would be a lot of minds to scan. I don't think he could pinpoint himself on, on Novavar uh, right away. I think Novavar could play it smart as well. And not necessarily, you know, climb the side of buildings and jump rooftops to try and find uh, Charles Xavier, even though he could. Uh, Novar's been on the run before. He's currently on the run now. He's very good at hiding himself from people. I think he would he would try and blend into the crowd as much as he could uh, while continuing his mission to look, for, uh, to look for Professor Xavier. Now, one thing Novar can actually do as well, and he's shown this in the, uh, I believe, New Avengers Illuminati book, is he can detect anyone who's trying to uh, penetrate his mind telepathically. Uh, when he did this, uh, he noticed that Xavier himself was uh, trying to force an illusion in Novar's mind, and Novar detected it and basically broke free from it. So, Whoa. yeah, he's, he's done that, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, in the very least, I, it still doesn't prove how much resistance he would have to some sort of telepathic suggestion, but he is aware when he's being being telepathically invaded, so that that's something in his pocket. Um, uh, so yeah, if uh, so, let's say you know he's running around and Novar gets a pin on Charles Xavier. He finds out exactly where he is. I think in this case, all Novar would need uh, is his white run. He would go into a white run where, again, I've mentioned his, his body runs completely on instinct. Uh, telepaths have had trouble in the past with uh, creatures like, like Wolverine when they go into a berserker rage because the mind, since the mind function on an instinct, there, there's no predictability. And it, it, it would be like Xavier trying to mind control a cockroach in this case, uh, considering all the cockroach DNA that Noir has in him. Um, so, and if we remember how quickly Novar took out the Young Avengers and Runaways, uh, back in Civil War, uh, that's essentially how long it would take for Novar to just come up and break Chuck's neck. Uh, so it would be pretty much over for the, uh, bald-headed mutie. Uh, so yeah, I think a very dramatic sort of, you know, Novar's on the run currently, he, he doesn't have time for this shit, he would locate Charles Xavier, go into a white run, and... <laughs> Crack, snap, that's it. No more Xavier on the, gl- on the ground. Or, uh, worst comes to worst, too, if, uh, if he doesn't have time, or let's say if he just spots him from a distance, but he knows Charles hasn't detected him yet, 
he does have the strength to basically at least bring down the wall of a building on him. Um, you know, so maybe he could do something Simon couldn't. Very <laughs> <laughs> good. So, uh, well, first of all, uh, one uh, is good rationale, Dan. And, and the one thing that I'd point out is that in Hell's Kitchen, how many Cree mines are there going to be? I mean, Xavier doesn't have to scan all the mines in Hell's <clears throat> Kitchen. He just has to look for the alien mine among them. So uh, he should be able to, to tag uh, Novar pretty quickly. He also has a lot of experience with speedsters. I mean, he has, you know, he and Peter, Peter have, uh, have clashed many times before. So he, he's, you know, the, the white run, I don't think, is going to be as big of an advantage because Xavier does know how to deal with speedsters, especially with Quicksilver. Um, he has, uh, you know, he has dealt with them before and, uh, and knows how to handle hyper-accelerated hyper mines. And uh, so, so Xavier, I don't think, is going to have very much trouble uh, latching on to Novar long before Novar ever actually reaches him. So uh, one good thing you pointed out, though, was, the, uh, was, was Novar being able to resist uh, Xavier being an illusion in his mind. So uh, that, that would preempt, uh, say, Xavier making him think he'd won and uh, declaring victory before he even actually encountered Xavier himself. But on the other hand... Uh, you know, I don't. I don't. Xavier's got so much power. You know, talk about uh, the uh, new Avengers and Runaways uh, encountering them. They're they're you know an entire class. They're they're an order of magnitude below where Xavier is in terms of power level. So I think uh, you know Xavier's not going to have a problem. You just blowing through whatever defensive Novar defenses Novar may have, and essentially shutting him down. Uh, it's. Uh, you know he's going to be able to he's going to be able to tag him almost immediately and then uh, invade his mind and even even if Novar can detect it it's still you know Xavier if, if he's really turning on the juice is going to be able to just blow through whatever defenses he has and let's not forget that the Novar is an, is banned from Earth so uh, that that could uh, lead to, <laughs> the, to, to an Avengers uh, alert to come after him as well so uh, if he's back on Earth so. Um, but I, I, I think once again, Xavier, uh, Novar's got a pretty good power set, but in, in such an extended environment, it's going to uh, be difficult for Novar to get to him before Xavier tags him and uh, shuts him down and takes him out. And, and Xavier, in terms of power level, is going to uh, be pretty formidable to just sneak up upon him if they snap his neck. Uh, you know, he's going to be able to uh, detect Novar as, as essentially the only Cree mind. And he is familiar with Cree mines from uh, Rogue. And and uh, you know, Rogue, remember, was merged with Carol Danvers for a long time, and the the Cree uh, the Cree human hybrid in Rogue's mind was something that, that Xavier is very, very uh, familiar with. So that gives him a uh, you know he's going to know what he's looking for in terms of a Cree mind first of all, and then uh, and then able to detect and filter it out in in very quick time. And given the extent of the environment and, the, and that they're starting from opposite ends of the environment, even at a white run, Noir's not going to be able to cover that much distance before Xavier uh, locks into him. All right, Dan. You want to say anything else? Nofar has hair. One <laughs> <laughs> uh. time uh, when he was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, like, uh, just 
Novar has has a huge uh, a huge stable of powers. Uh, again, super speed, and you know it's always it's always tough fighting these these damn telepaths because you know the speed of thought. But uh, yeah, as as a as a scenario, in let's say in a, in a written comic book, I don't think it would be that easily. He would beat him that easily, Charles. I mean, uh, but yeah, I mean that's. I have not much more to add. I mean, I pretty much laid it out there. It's unfortunate that, you know, I no longer have protector armor. I mean, if you look at Iron Man, who's apparently got psi shields that could keep Xavier out, I'm sure it wouldn't have been much at the time for the protector to mimic that same kind of technology, right? But uh, in this case, he doesn't have that anymore. And uh, you're right, essentially, <laughs> if... Uh, if we follow current continuity, uh, Novar shouldn't even be on Earth. So, <laughs> what's he doing in this fight in the first place? But, uh... <laughs> he was he was teleported there. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, 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 again, I, I... but uh, but yeah, I mean, let's not let's not assume the Avengers show up to to throw Novar out. <laughs> yeah, get off my planet. No, but uh, I I still think that uh, you know in the White Run. Uh, in the White Run, Xavier would have a hell of a time if any at all. The difference between Xavier dealing with a speedster in the past, like Quicksilver, is, uh, as mentioned, uh, Novar's consciousness is essentially is essentially disconnected from his body when he's in a White Run. Uh, it's his it's his it's his body runs on pure instinct. Uh, you know it it. Novar gives his body a task and it does it. It's like shutting down all the non-essential parts of uh, to reroute all the energy to his his physical attributes. Uh, so I th I think in the White Run uh, would give Xavier a hell of a tough time, uh, even if Novar had a lot of ground to cover. I don't know. I don't know if Novar uh, if uh, Charles could somehow shut him down when the consciousness is essentially not connected to his body in that case. So I, I don't know that, you know, it, it would but, be, yeah, but Novar has to have a way to come out of the white run too. So his consciousness doesn't shut down. Once, once the task, once the task is complete. Yeah. But, but the, yeah, his body's in motion, but he, he's not consciously controlling his body, but Xavier can, you know, he can still attack the consciousness. And so the body's on its way. But he can he can end up asserting control and diverting the body. I mean, it just doesn't take much. Uh, you know, send him down the wrong alley or uh, into a wall, have him make a have him make a turn like uh, step too quickly, and and bang, he's right into a corner. So, uh, you know, the the uh, the white runs a, a great defense. It's actually a great offense. But uh, given that Xavier's got time to to narrow in to zero in on on and target him, and then uh, you know, and then basically. Uh, you know, divert him from. And plus, Novar doesn't know exactly where he is to begin with, so he's going to be searching. You know, he's he's going to be sending for him, but he has to find it first. He has to find Xavier first, whereas Xavier's going to know exactly where Novar is from the beginning. So, um, you know, Novar's coming in rapidly, but uh, but Xavier, you know, just has to give a key to, hey, I'm down this other alley, and, and bang, right into a wall. Uh, so uh, you know the white runs a good offense in close quarters, but in, in, in yeah, I, I, you know, Quicksilver generally when he has managed to get a get a hit in on Xavier, it's, it's been in close quarters where Xavier even at speed of thought can't respond to a body coming out that fast. But 
over the course of you know, Hell's Kitchen and several blocks, several city blocks, it's going to take a little while for, for Novar to find him, even at a white run. And, you know, the, the white run basically sends him into a, you know, it's kind of where he knows where the target is. It, it's, you know, search and destroy requires some decision, some consciousness. So he can send his body to a certain spot and have to get through a certain task. But if he's looking for someone, he's got to have a consciousness there to recognize what he's looking for. So that, that means that you know, Xavier at that point um, can mask himself or, uh, or you know, it, it doesn't take much. Just just divert him long enough to uh, to come in and take control of him and shut him down. And brain blast So. <clears throat> Right. Well, e- either that, or, or uh, you know, in in uh, Mar- in uh, the Marvel Boy series, where Novar essentially just brought down a whole city block, instead of even going through the trouble of looking for Charles, you could do that too. Oh, wow. That's going way back. I have vaguely <laughs> Marvel Boy series. I haven't uh, had to go dig it up. <laughs> what was it in two thousand four or ninety eight or something? Ninety eight, I think. It gets way back. It's as over a decade old. Yeah, so, I have to dig for that one. I, I don't even remember what and I'll have. I remember it was really surreal. There's Grant Morrison writing it, so of course it doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I, I guess we need to move on uh, since uh, since Ian is deciding to, to to write his all of his emails for the week. <laughs> 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 what are you typing there, buddy? Ian? Ian, you're on mute. No, this is me ignoring you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I figured that was probably what it was. What, was it really loud? Oh yeah, it's always loud. Yeah. It, it sounds like your mic's right. Like your mic is closer to your keyboard than your mouth. Hmm. Yeah. No, I, I was just posting the fight. Oh, yeah, okay, cool. You just get a jump. You just get a jump on the thing on things, right? Very good. No, All right. I, I didn't realize it was that loud though. Just yell at me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. All okay. right. Uh, thanks to our competitors for a couple of uh, of very good rationales here in our second season of COC Live. It's, it's important for listeners and managers to understand the circumstances under which these fighters compete. The fighters are teleported into their respective environment, um, in this case Hell's Kitchen, on opposite ends of the environment. The fighters have full disposal of any and all resources available in the environment. And fighters are not allowed to leave the environment, but teleportation and flyers are not considered as leaving the environment. Lastly, the winner shall be determined based on the fact that he or she has subdued the opponent's fighter. Um, so doing could be anything from restraining to killing. And next week, we're going to be joined by Eli and Dan. And Dan, you're the home team. Yay! Again. 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 Yeah, lucky you. <laughs> Lucky? All right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe not. Um, and let's see. Uh, it looks like uh, Eli has to use Invisible Woman. That's his. That's his uh, character that he has to use. And and, I have to use and you have to use Wolverine. So it's going to be uh, Sue Richards versus uh, Wolverine. Uh, oh, great! Which that'll be fun. Yeah, one scan. That's all Eli's going to post. One scan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this season we introduce a new segment to the show called the COC P- 
Power Rankings. It's where we take it upon ourselves to rank five new characters each week in terms of who is the toughest. Um, so you can always uh, chime in in the uh, Power Rankings thread on comicattack.forumer.com and let us know what you think about our rankings. So tonight's five nominees are... I love I love this group. This is great. It's another Ian Ian uh, fantastic little group of people. Um, Dust from the new X Men, uh, Mercury also from the new X Men, Veil from uh, the Avengers Academy, Cloud Nine from the uh, Avengers Initiative, and Sandman from. Spider-Man. So, uh, so we've got ourselves a good, good little group here. So, uh, let's see. I'll go first because um, I do believe you get the pick at the end, there, Ian. So, um, so my top five are Sandman, followed by Dust, Mercury, Cloud Nine, and Veil. And this is uh, my rationale for that is. Uh, Flint Marco, uh, aka the Sandman, has been at it a long time, and and against this group of uh, characters, really uh, all of these other characters are very inexperienced. And Sandman definitely has the the chops to uh, to, to take any of them down, I think. And uh, and he's a pretty unstop. I mean, he's a pretty he's a great Spider-Man villain, I think, and his come very close to to beating Spider-Man a million times and I think the only the only reason that Spider-Man gets the jump on Sandman is because he's a little bit you know he's smarter than 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 uh, old Flint is so uh uh, but but in terms of Sandman's power, um, he's really hard to he's just really hard to beat because uh, a, 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 a a power like his where you can control sand and you can you can add to your form or you can subtract you can do all of those kind of things I mean that's just a really hard power to, to go up against so uh, so that along with all of his 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 experience puts him at the top um, dust I'd put just under him because uh, she's got a very similar power set. Uh, but she hasn't been at it as long. But the things that she has done as part of the new X Men is, uh, I mean, has been pretty brutal. I mean, she can she can use her power in very brutal ways. And uh, Flay Flesh from the Flay Fre- uh, Flay Flesh from the you got that Flay 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 Flaying Flaying the Flesh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that was in her that was in her first appearance too. Was uh, yeah. So um yeah so she's she's uh even though she does have a you know a strict religious uh and moral code uh she's still very dangerous when pushed to her limit um I put Mercury just after her and that that, that one's a really hard little debate uh and and Mercury herself has been through a, a great deal uh over the over the years in terms of being on the new X-Men so um but I think uh the the thing that Mercury doesn't have that Dust has is that Mercury is very uh, she's a very fragile human being and uh, and and she uh, she's been through a lot she's been traumatized a lot and I think uh, she second guesses herself I think she she doesn't have uh, kind of the mastery over her over her skills uh, or as much mastery as as Dust has so um, I put Cloud Nine 
next, and really based on Cloud9's power set, while she can control gas and clouds and things like that, she can't herself become those things. And so I think in the end, uh, Sandman, Dust, Mercury kind of uh, trump her because I think they could they could they could land a physical attack on her, um, whereas her power wouldn't really be able to affect them quite as much. Last but not least, I put Vale. Uh, vale uh, is you know tampered by Norman Osborn. She's been a member of the Avengers Academy, but she's she left them recently. And uh, I, I I don't know. I mean, she she has kind of a gaseous kind of form, uh, but she's the least experienced, and she is even more mentally kind of unstable um, uh, than, than even Mercury. So I put her at the end of of the list. So so there you go. Good. Sorry, give me one second. Yeah, sure. Okay. So my list is the exact same as Jeff's. Oh, yay. Yeah, no, no different whatsoever. Um, and for basically for all the same reasons, Sandman and Dust, their powers are virtually the same, but Sandman has more experience, and Dust is... She's kind of... Uh, she has other moral obligations, you know what I mean? Like she's she's definitely more restrained when it comes to using her powers than uh, than Sandman is, even though she has used it in vicious ways in the past. Um, Mercury, exact same reason as Jeff. Um, and the other thing too is is Mercury's powers a lot like Dust's powers, but when if, if I were to look at Dust and Mercury going at each other, like fighting each other, I think that Dust would have the advantage. I think. Um, being able to pull sand and stuff like that into Mercury would help, uh, yeah, you know, weaken Mercury, like weaken her her bond kind of thing. Um, Cloud Nine, who also has shown that she's willing to use her power to kill, um, um, and she did that in World War Hulk when when uh, they they broke into the I think it was Yankee Stadium or wherever it was that they were they were holding the the they were holding the heroes hostage. Cloud Nine went in and she killed a bunch of people in there by filling their lungs with the gas that she uses oh, to right, run. Yeah. Um, so she, you know, she's she's also um, uh, somebody who you know, like a lot like Dust, ha- will use her power to kill. But Cloud Nine, like many of the other candidates in this list, is young. Um, she's a bit a bit messed up from when she's she watched MVP be killed in Avengers Initiative and uh, a little bit confused and has oftentimes even ran away from the superhero business and decided she doesn't want anything to do with it. And, um, so, yeah, so I don't think her head's in it completely. I think she, you know, I think some of the other ones above her could take her out. And then Vale I put last. Um, I think Vale's pathetic. Uh, <laughs> I think her her power set matches this group in terms of, you know, power on paper. But um, the character herself and watching her use her power and uh, she's just... Uh, yeah, she she's she's a really good to me a really good indicator of that book and that team, Avengers Academy. That is, and just how how stupid it is, um, and how much they're grasping trying to bring new characters into the Marvel universe, and and they just they're just stupid. And, and you know what? That's a for, I think that's a good point. Bring up you, like they feel like they've got to make this new Avengers Academy book and bring these new characters in. 
But then look at the characters we just listed above Vale. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't need to make new characters. Right. Um, put, put Dust in more books. Put Mercury in more books. Put Cloud9 in more books. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's it's uh, it's redundant. Yeah. In, yeah. So she sucks. Yeah, she does suck. Yeah. All right, Dan, how about you? Uh, my list is pretty similar, although I, you might think I'm crazy, but I put Mercury as the most powerful member on this list. Um, mainly because I don't think Sand could really hurt Mercury. Like, I understand that she's uh, her psyche is kind of fragile. Uh, she is she is full of self-doubt and all this. But even in a fight, I, I think that the sand couldn't really hurt Mercury. Uh, that's the way I see it anyways. If she had to fight any of these people, the gas, the sand, like n- none of it could really physically hurt her. Uh, but I could be totally wrong because I, I don't have a huge history with these characters. But anyways, I, I put Mercury at the top, then followed by Sandman, Dust, Cloud9, and Veil for pretty much all the same reasons you guys said. I mean, Sandman is, is ultimately a joke considering in his first appearance, uh, uh, Spider-Man defeated him with a shop vac. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he has gained a lot of experience since then, but he still utterly gets defeated every time uh so but in, in any case uh he he would he his experience would win over a lot of the people on this list but i don't think uh, none of them could really hurt mercury all right how about you tom uh my list was actually the same as uh jeff and ian i i had uh, uh sandman dust uh mercury cloud nine and veil and Kind of the same reasons you guys all listed. Uh, I do actually, Dan. I do think uh, Sandman and Dust could hurt Mercury basically by sandblasting. Um, you know, a, a, uh, basically ripping her body apart because she is liquid liquid metal, and uh, but it's not. It's a soft metal. She's not. She can't like armor up. It's more like you know, a, a, a concentrated blast of sand would be able to chip her apart and and whittle her down. Um, but yeah, I mainly put Sandman over Dust, primarily because Sandman can do everything Dust can do, but uh, but he has more experience and he can duplicate everything she can do. Dust is not quite as versatile as Sandman is, so that's why I put Sandman over Dust experience. And Sandman has a bit more control over his, uh, you know, he can he can adapt to any sand versus Dust, which basically just turns her body into sand and then back to human again. Oh. Um, I mentioned a Mercury. Uh, Basically, either of them could. could uh, I don't think Mercury's really lived up to her potential. She does have a lot of potential of going beyond where where she is now. And then, essentially, Cloud Nine Veil are are pale in comparison to those top three. So. Right. Right. All right. See the in the thing too that I was thinking in terms of with what Dan was saying with Mercury, um, Dust and Sandman for that matter. But Dust, she can. She's. What constitutes her as a sandstorm, or you know, her her sand form? Mm-hmm. It's not it's not just her body mass. Um, she can draw from the environment around her. You know what I mean? True. So she, she can reconstitute herself and stuff like that with that sand. Whereas Mercury, what she has is what she has. Like we've never we've never seen her be able to pull Mercury from anything, or you know, it's just her mm-hmm. body mass in the reshaping of that body mass. So that she, still, also, it, she, she had lingering problems from them taking a sample from her to, to cover uh, 
Predator X would make the Predator X skin. That's right. She never quite got over that. I mean, I kept bringing up the fact that they took a sample from her to do that. Yeah. That was my nipple. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. So for numeric rankings, according according to what the four of us said, um, that puts Sandman at first with nineteen points. Um, Dust second with 15, Mercury a really close third with 14, Cloud nine with eight, and then Vale with a uh, well-deserving four. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she sucks. And then in the overall rankings, what I did was I went went fairly far down the list, of course. Um, And... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And yeah, so I went down to Cyclops, and I put Sandman below Cyclops, but above Iron Fist. Um, wow. Oh. Yeah. No, I think I think Sandman could beat Iron Fist. What's Iron Fist going to do to Sandman? Punch him. You, you know what I mean? Punch yeah. We re- we recently found out that Sandman essentially his entire consciousness is housed in one grain of sand. That's right. Iron Fist would have to punch that that specific grain of sand <laughs> to really yeah. take out. Yeah, you know, and no you know, no amount of chia pets in the world could focus in on that one <laughs> grain of sand. Chia pets. <laughs> I that kid would argue that though they would say that his chi he could find that one grain of sand. <laughs> uh huh. I, I, I like that a lot. That's great. But so, do you, yeah, so, but do you really think that Sandman can take out Captain America? I do. Yeah, I don't like. I don't. I don't think what I don't know what Captain America could do to beat him. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you know, um, Spider Woman. I, I still fail to understand how Spider Man can beat him. Well, he has yeah. a shot back. <laughs> I think Spider Woman. Now that I look at Spider Woman on this list, and I think that I, I would like to personally move Spider Woman up because I think Spider Woman could beat Sandman. Um, yes, go for it. And just with her pheromone power and stuff oh, like, that, yeah. Um, plus, she's lot- now she's now uh, t- uh, resistant to telepathy. Yeah, yeah. Move that sucker up. Why don't we put her below War Machine? Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see. Because I think she could take out. I think with that with that resistance to telepathy and her pheromone powers, which work really well on guys. Oh, I, um, I think I think she could take out Taskmaster. I think she could take out Iceman. Kid Gladiator. I think would be drooling all over. Her. That's true. Yeah. You know, and then I think War Machine, no. Um, yeah. Okay. The pheromones wouldn't affect him under the yeah. armor. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, it's great. Sounds good. Okay, so. Below War Machine. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so I put Sandman right below Cyclops. I think that Cyclops could, uh, with his optic beams, he can keep Sandman yeah. back at bay, you know, turn the glass, all that kind of stuff. They're pretty good stories there, actually, um, when you look at that combination. Um, I put Dust and Mercury um, below Quicksilver. Um, their inexperience, their insecurity, and Quicksilver himself, I think he's got a nice power set to compete against Dust and Mercury. Um, I put them above Beast, though. Because I again I don't see what Beast could do to either of these characters, you know, to talk him to death. I don't know. Like, I, I'm not sure what he could do. Um, 
And then I went all the way down. Just above I, Nate Gray. <laughs> <laughs> I put Cloud9 um, below, Fal- below Falcon, but above Lizard. So, and I think Falcon's experience in the air would get the best of Cloud9. Um, and I think they're very, two, believe it or not, I think they're two very similar characters. I think you ranked her high. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. I, th- I think... I think some of these other folks, uh, Blizzard, Blob, Punisher, Purple Man. Would... I think they could. I, I think they could. I think they could all get her. But she's in the air. Like, like I, I don't know how Lizard would get to her. Well, they have to fight somehow, right? Yeah, but she can. But that's what I mean. She's had a ranged attack, right? Like she oh, can. Okay, I see what you're saying. Okay. She can fight from the air, and you got Lizard, Blob, Punisher. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, okay. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then I put Vale. I actually put Vale. We have a new bottom dweller. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I put Vale below Forge. Um, I agree. I think, I think Forge kicks her ass. Uh, I think Vale's a – I think Forge could talk her. Like, could Forge could beat Vale just by by talking, you know, poorly to her, saying mean mean words and things. <laughs> yeah. That's how little I think of Vale. Um <laughs> In in that book for yeah. Um, okay, so what do you guys think? That's great. Good times. Good times. Yeah. Good times. All right. So thank you for participating in episode forty-five of COC Live, and thank you for listening to episode forty-five of COC Live. Um, go to comicact.former.com under COC to vote for who you think is the most deserving to win tonight's fight. Uh, if you have any questions that you would like answered on the show, add them to the Ask the COCers thread in the forum. We would love to see millions of people arguing the fights in the forum, so feel free to post anything you want in that fight thread. Also, look for us on Twitter at COC Podcast. Like us, um, like sorry, like Contest of Champions on Facebook, and subscribe to us in iTunes. And when you get in iTunes, write us a review. We're looking for more reviews. And check out our newest affiliate, Comic comicrelated.com who will be posting Contest of Champions from here on out along with some other great podcasts on their site like uh, Tales from the Water Cooler and Discussions with Decapitated Dan. We record every Sunday evening at 9pm Eastern Time so be sure to get your votes in before then and after I do some editing work uh, the fight is posted and is ready for listening the following Tuesday. And uh, and also, don't forget that we posted a point one episode last week, which was the awesome Rob Liefeld versus the equally awesome Scott Snyder. Who do you think would win in a fight? Have we gotten some? Uh, have we gotten some feedback on that, Ian, at all? Uh, give me one second. I, th- I think I think some people have voted. I think it's it's swinging in the Scott Snyder face uh, favor. Unfortunately, Mac twenty four seven posted a bunch of uh, Rob Liefeld art, and I think everybody's eyes melted so that they couldn't actually. He posted argue all the fight. of the of all of it. He posted all of the bad art from Rob Liefeld. So, but wasn't Mac the one who was like saying what's what's so bad about him, or was that somebody else? There was some somebody that was saying like, "What's the you know he wouldn't be famous if not you know if he didn't wasn't right. talented or somebody was saying that." Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Okay, let's look. Yeah, but uh, Sorry. But, but you know, I, I also I, I also think that the um, you know the the uh, somebody somebody put something about uh, well I guess it was you Ian put uh the picture of 
Greg Capullo with uh, with Scott Snyder, and that that kind of mm-hmm. sways votes a little bit there. Because uh, yeah, Greg Capullo is stacked, yeah. He's a beast. Uh, he yeah. So the 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 poll is eighty percent in favor of Scott Snyder. Oh boy. Over Rob Liefeld. So. Who voted for Rob Liefeld? <laughs> Rob Liefeld. <laughs> <laughs> he very he very may well have that. It would be interesting. You need you need to go back and look and see who who uh, joined on the site. Uh. You know the last the last couple of days, but yeah, that'd be funny. So, uh, so anyway, go check out that great episode. Uh, Ian and I had a great time uh, arguing that fight. Kind of, uh, not really wasn't much of an argument, but um, and uh, it was just a lot of fun. So, so anyway, so thanks again to our fantastic competitors, Dan and Tom. Thank you guys for for joining us again. Always a pleasure. And uh, thanks again to uh, my fantastic co-host, Cape Killer. Thanks a lot, buddy. I am fantastic. You are. You are. And most of all, thanks to all of you listeners out there. Thank you for voting and participating and downloading and doing all the great stuff that you do. So for all of us at COC, have a great week. Excelsior! <laughs> uh, let's get her!